This episode of Good Chat is brought to you by Simmons Homes. Every day across Australia, it's tools up for Team Simmons because their people stand by their promise to start building your new home on time and on budget. So if you're ready to join the hundreds of Australians they're welcoming home each month, talk to Simmons, the great Australian builder. Now on with the show. Welcome to Good Chat, brought to you by Sportsman Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to talk all things football with your host, Jimmy Sutter. Hello and welcome back to Good Chat, where we sit down with a special sporting star each week to discuss their story, interests, on-field feats and everything you, the fans, want to know. And it's all thanks to Simmons, Sportsmate and the Footy Live app, of course. Download that Footy Live app now. It's finals time and with the prelims coming up, you better have that app on you and, and let's be honest, you're probably in lockdown, so you can't watch the game with friends, so why not a Sportsmate? Our apps are the best companion for any game of sport. They're like that perfect partner you'd want to have. And they don't even complain that they'd rather be watching the latest episode of Real Housewives. The new Sportsmate podcast network is flying at the moment, just like the Ds, uh, who were actually resurrected from the dead off the back of our guest's work. It is Mr. Paul Ruse. And uh, Ruse, he's done it all in his career as a player and coach. So I won't spend too much time uh, reading out his list of achievements. But this man was an absolute star for Fitzroy. Uh, he speaks to me about that, uh, his time there, including uh, nearly getting shipped off to the pies uh, in the early 90s and the club not being able to afford a best and fairest medal for him. Uh, he found his old slideshow as well he presented when applying for the Swans job in 2002 and chats to me about that and also that famous 2005 flag. And uh, he also gave me a heap of insight on what success looks like behind the scenes. He's a generous genius, this man, and I absolutely loved having him on the podcast this week. It's Mr. Paul Ruse, and he provides us with this week's good chat thanks to Simmons here we go hashtag good chat to get involved and enjoy this one last chance for Fitzroy what a fitting finish this is Ruse no unable still an opportunity Emmett can't crash his way through Ruse's left foot kick is a goal unbelievable finish if ever a captain has kicked a goal it was then well, he really did lift himself. He's come down from centre-half back, and kicking that left foot snap. It's put Fitzroy back in front. OK, today's guest is one of the most brilliant leaders the great game of Australian rules football has ever seen. This man played over 350 games for Fitzroy and Sydney before ending a 72-year premiership drought for the Swans as coach and almost single-handedly helping the Demons rise up from years of hell. He went on to become one of the most insightful and professional media presenters in the AFL world and currently inspires and motivates groups of people through his educational talks around leadership, culture and mental well-being. His list of achievements is longer than the mullet he sported in his playing days with seven All-Australians, inductions into the Lions, Swans and Australian Football Hall of Fame, Detroit's centre-half back in the team of the century, five Vessant Bears, a goal-kicking award to name just a couple of his <laughs> many, many achievements along with that 2005 Premiership Cup. For the people who have waited probably less than 72 years for me to interview Paul Ruse. Here it is! How are you, mate? Welcome, Thank mate, to the God. podcast. Mate. Well done, thank you. <laughs> no worries. Hey, that granny, you know when you said that, I've heard you say, you, you think about before you go into the grand final, what I'm going to say when we win or lose. Did you rehearse that particular bit? Yeah, not that part of it because I, I actually remember seeing the banner and I think it said two, two towns, one team sort of thing and it was yeah. sort of the connection of the South Melbourne, Sydney and obviously there's been a, a lot of angst around it and I, and I must admit I just reflected on that banner 
and the connection between, you know, I think I said, you know, for those South Melbourne, Sydney Swans supporters. So it was sort of the connecting mm. piece. I felt the banner was so impactful to me and then the day we're bringing in everyone together and then you know, the fact that we'd waited 72 years. So, yeah, that part of it I hadn't rehearsed. Yeah, a lot of the other stuff you sort of think I want to be humble in victory yeah, yeah. or defeat and what am I going to say if we lose? But certainly that part just came on the back of, yeah, seeing the banner. Yeah. Was that the highlight of your footy career that day? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to explain. There's so many levels to it. I guess that's probably the hardest thing. There's the individual you know, achievement as a player and that I hadn't been able to do and as a coach. So individually winning a premiership was huge. But then I think, Bigger than that was just the impact that it had, you know, literally on thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And that was probably the bit that I didn't realise how impactful it was and how significant it was, not just for me, but for so many people, not just the players, but administrators, fans, families, you know, and it still goes on and on and on today. You know, I'm living in South Melbourne now, so I run into a lot of South Melbourne supporters and even what, what, yeah, I did my exercise yesterday, walked through the Albert Park golf course and you know, ran into a couple of Swans fans with hats on. So it's yeah. still to this day, it, it has an incredible impact on people. Yeah, it's amazing. You, you influence so many people. And, and speaking of that, John Longmire, he still says that you de- deserve significant credit for the 2012 flag. Everybody understands your contribution to Melbourne, where they're currently placed now off the back of your work. I want to ask about the coaching shortly, but nowadays you're influencing people in the business world. Can you tell me a bit about what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, I have a company called Performance by Design. So we there's three business partners. We have some staff, some really good staff. And, yeah, it's really built off the back of my philosophies and the other founders' philosophies around leadership is, is role modelling, really. We talk about leadership role modelling, not leaving a chance, your culture to chance. You know, you mm-hmm. can have an opportunity to form your cultures, what we did at, at, at uh, Sydney and what we did at Melbourne Footy Club. Um, and, and they're the real philosophies. And we set a framework. We've got some really good clients and, yeah, we're, we're sort of hopefully having an impact, particularly at the moment where it's really tough. And, yeah. you know, thankfully a lot of our clients are really reaching out now. We're doing a lot of online stuff. We've transferred a lot of our day workshops or half-day workshops online and, and people are really seeing the value even more so of, of looking after their people, talking about culture, what drives them, what do they reward, what do they challenge. And, yeah, I really love it and enjoy what I'm doing. Nice. How many people in the group, how many people in the business have you have you got? Yeah, we've got sort of six full-timers at the moment and then we've got other people we use on a more of a part-time basis, which is good. And, yeah, we've got um, a North American branch as well, which is really good. So we've got some really good clients over in the US and Canada, which is fantastic also. Yeah, brilliant. Hey, Bruce, who was your inspiration as a kid? You're a Carlton supporter growing up in, in the Doncaster area, playing for Beverly Hills Footy Club. Who was your inspiration back then? It's funny, we talk a lot about it now as role models. It's interesting, my, my boys are 25 sort of and 27, and their role models can be Instagram, you know. Yeah. Ours are all touch, see and feel and speak to, you know, so it's dramatically different. Mm. Yeah, so teachers, parents, parents of, of, of friends. And then when I got to the footy club, you know, Gary Wilson, Bernie Quinlan, Laurie Serafini, Mickey Conlon, you know, Fitzroy players, they were my role models, they were an inspiration. You know, Robert Walls, my first, I didn't want to let him down, my first coach, David Parker, my second coach. You know, so we had our role models were visible and mm. and you could see their warts, you could see their, their weaknesses, you could see their strengths, you could see their family, you know, and that was a really good part of growing up in that particular time. And then you choose to be 
you know, the direction you wanted to go was based on your role models and, and whether you wanted to emulate what they did, um, good or bad. Mm. What well, was it footy that you chose? Because you were a gun tennis player as well. Your parents played tennis, I believe. You played basketball. Why was it footy that you, you chose to continue? Yeah, it was interesting because basketball was probably my first love a bit. You know, yeah. so I was really fortunate because um, most of my mates played cricket and footy, but I went to primary school, put a basketball team in a school comp one year, and I thought, mm. I'll have a crack at this, and I was actually pretty good. Yeah. And then I got invited down to the Nunnall Inspector. So I actually started really young, and then I was playing rep basketball, and I got, I got picked for the state teams, the Victorian state teams in basketball. So it was probably... I mean, tennis, I never, yeah, tennis, you've got to see yourself as, you know, uh, Johnny Newcomb or Tony Roach back in those days. I mean, that was a bridge too far, you know, yeah. sort of thing, because they were, yeah, you had to practice all the time. I loved the tennis and mm. I enjoyed it, but I was never that good at it. But the, probably the basketball, where I, I played my year, I went down to Fitzroy, I was playing under 17, Teal Cup, I got picked in the Victorian team, and I was also got picked in the state basketball team. But back then, it was sort of a case of, you know, play for the Olympics in basketball, which I would have absolutely loved doing. But then you had to picture yourself as one of the best 12 in the country, as opposed mm-hmm. to just getting, you know, invited down to Fitzroy, and then you become immersed in that culture. So I never really made it. A decision. I just got drawn into footy and yeah. and got picked from the first game, and it just kept on playing. Really, yeah. That pathway you mentioned to Fitzroy. I've heard you say that you preferred it back then, or you think it was better back then for the kids as compared to now. Can you explain why that is? Yeah, dramatically different. Because what you were able to do is you captured. For instance, there's 12 teams when I started, so mm. 12 teams all, all had a zone, country zone, city zone. So then you had an under 19. So all 12 teams invited probably 40 to 50 players down. So you're talking about 700, six to 700, yeah, Victorian kids got an opportunity to enter a, a VFL system. Yeah. Now you've got 80 kids Australia-wide yeah. that get a yeah. chance to get into a system. So the numbers tell you the system was so much better back then. Yeah. Mm. And then it was just up to you whether you're good enough to, yeah, you played at the under-19 level, then you might be good enough. The list in seniors was probably 60-plus then you played seconds. You might have played, yeah, you might have played your first game, but you're 21, 22. Now it's it's such an exclusive environment. Yeah, you know, it's much better. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was yeah, you know, a lot um easier to get on an AFL list back then, which is which is a good thing. Yeah. Harder to get a game. Yeah, it was definitely harder to get a game. Yeah. It's harder to get on an AFL list now and way easier to get a game when you're on the list. So, yeah, some people say that if we expand the comp, the talent pool is not going to be that great. But as you explained, there's, there's, there is a lot of talent that goes missed, I guess, if you don't get that opportunity. Do you think it will be stretched too much if there is more teams? Well, the way the system is, it is at the moment because yeah. a lot of kids sort of give the game away or go back and play. There's no real pathway yeah. post the draft. You know, and there's this philosophy that we've got to take the kids at 17 and 18. And, yeah, there's, there's so many good examples of players that have come in later. Dane Rampey, mm. you know, is a great example. You can, but just the lack of opportunity for those older players. Like I've been around the country and watched a lot of footy. I've seen players that would walk into AFL teams now that have never, ever had an opportunity to, to play, yeah. you know, because they've just missed the system. Whereas, I mean, Diesel Williams is a great example. Went down to an under-19, you know, went back to Bendigo, I think it was, got knocked back a couple of times, became a dual Brownlow medalist back in that system. You could argue that he'd never get into the system now, which is just mm. extraordinary when you look at how talented that Diesel Williams is. And to say that someone like that you know, may, may have never played in the current system is just unbelievable. Mm. 
We'll be back after a quick break. What was Fitzroy 1982? What was that like, the club? Because a lot of the time now for my generation, as I would speak about Fitzroy struggling and everything like that, what was the club like when you walked into it? Yeah, great question. It was a great footy club, really yeah. was. You know, really high calibre, you know, players. You know, I played in the finals 83, 84, 86. You know, so my, you know, three of my first four or five years were finals. You're great mm. players. Like Bernie Quinlan and Gary Wilson, in my opinion, are top 20 players of all time, you know, of, of any any players, any era. You know, we, we played in, you know, final in uh, 83 against Hawthorne and a you know, controversial free kick and we could have won a premiership in, in 83. You know, 86, mm. we made the prelim final, got beaten by a much better Hawthorne team. But, you know, had a great zone. We had a great zone. In the the, the um, out in Bulleen and Temple stuff, we also had Warnable and up there. So we had two really strong zones and really good under eight under nineteen teams. Our under nineteen teams were always playing in the grand final. I played in the grand final in nineteen eighty, I think it was against Richmond at the MCG. You know, my first year. So a great footy club. You know, good people, good administrators, good coaches. Could, couldn't speak highly enough of it. And it probably started to fall apart probably post eighty six when. Yeah. I still remember about seven rounds ago, Leon Wigo came and said, "We're financially we're done. We're going to have to merge, relocate, or um, you know, um, just disband it." Um, so that was really tough. We won six of our last seven games and played in the finals. But post that, when I look back on that era, I sort of think that's when we started to really struggle because we just didn't have enough money to compete with the rest of the competition. Yeah. What What was the reason that? There wasn't enough money. What were the reasons behind? Yeah, I think as 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 player costs went up, as as the cost of running a footy club went up, we probably just didn't have enough. Um, and back then, the AFL didn't support necessarily having twelve Victorian based teams. So mm. there was sort of this this AFL VFL that wanted to push into being an AFL. Yeah, so we're not really going to support teams that are struggling. And unfortunately. Fitzroy were one that Sydney, the South Melbourne had already gone to Sydney yeah. and the next cab off the rank was sort of Fitzroy that was struggling. So rather than support them, you know, they were happy for them to go up to Brisbane and the rest is history. Yeah, it, it's funny when you say that it started to fall off around 86 when you, when you guys were successful and that was incredible. Um, I think it was against Essendon, that 86 final. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unbelievable finishes. And um, I still, like I look back at that and just see the scenes there were incredible. That year for you, you probably should have won the brown line you? because you came second to Dipper and Greg Williams. They were on 17. You finished 16. But that last game of the season, you were probably best on ground and didn't get a vote. What happened, what happened, what happened yeah, there? it was funny because I'd won all the media awards and and at the Brownlow Medal Nights and I'm sitting there on the table, the Fitzroy yeah. table, and the last, they kept the last votes, Fitzroy versus Sydney, and I've been voted best on ground and yeah. I think they're all starting the age or something like that. So all the cameras came over. 
and surrounded me and it was one vote, such and such, two votes, such and yeah. such. I think three votes was Smirky Dwyer, um, M. Dwyer. And before I knew it, the cameras had just disappeared quicker than, you know, it looked like they'd gone down, fell down a manhole, <laughs> went over to Dipper. And so I always joke about it with Dipper and Diesel because yeah. Diesel whinges about one that he didn't get. Yeah. The umpire didn't give him votes for a 45 possession game. I said, Diesel, hang on. You got one you shouldn't have. You got one you shouldn't have got. So you'd just be happy with two anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but it, were you disappointed on on the night? You sure it's, you would have been? It, it's interesting, like because it's it's sort of built up so much, and then you you're probably disappointed for Fitzroy fans because it means so much to yeah. the Fitzroy people and probably to your family and friends mm. and all that sort of stuff. But to be honest, you quickly realise that it's completely out of control. I mean, there's there's yeah. just nothing you can do about it. And then you realise the umpire's got a really hard job to do. Yeah, umpiring a game of footy and working out who, you know, the, the best on ground is. So you get over it relatively quickly. I still joke about it today that, you know, I'm yeah. not bitter. I should have got three votes and I should have won a brown lace sort of thing. But <laughs> it's all sort of tongue-in-cheek, really. It's, yeah. It is what it is and you get over it pretty quickly. Is it is that a bad system? Like I, I don't know. It, it, surely it's outdated as well. Surely there should well, be a better is a, system. It's a yeah. bad system because it's not fair on the umpire. Yeah, but on the umps, yeah. But, but it's such a traditional system. Mm. So because they've created it and so traditional, and and because it's such a big award, you can never really change it. You know. Yeah. Um, and look, most of the time, the the best player or, or the best two or three, one of them. I mean, it's very rare that someone. Yeah, completely jumps out of nowhere and 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 wins it. Yeah, I mean Dipper had a pretty good year, but from mm. memory, I don't think he finished in the top six in his best and fairest. But <laughs> but he was still a very good player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like and, and so I don't think a poor player's ever won it. So look, the system is the system, and mm-hmm. and everyone sort of puts up with it. And it, it's too traditional to change, but it does put a lot of pressure on the umpires. There's no question. Mm. You you nearly went to Collingwood at, at one stage, didn't you? Did you receive a call overseas and said Fitzroy wanted to cut your payment by about 30, 33% and you nearly went to the pies? Yeah, I was pretty devastated. End of 89, I went over, my wife's American, so I went over yeah. there, got a phone call from a manager. He rang me and said, oh, you know, Ruse Damien Smith, who'd been with for ages. So he's sitting down. I said, why? And I was captain of the footy club at the time. So at the end of 1990, it was. Um, he said, oh, you can take a... 33% pay cut. Uh, they'll cut you off the list or they'll trade you the club of your choice. And I'm like, you serious? He said, yeah, apparently. Um, I said, well, I'm not going to take a pay cut. Yeah. So then Collingwood rang me. They said, we've organised, you know, this this is salary you'll pay you. Um, we're going to talk to – I'd never, ever spoke to anyone from Fitzroy. No one from Fitzroy rang me at all. Um, and they said, look – so I came to an agreement with Collingwood – they said, look, do you want to fly back? And I said, yeah, look, I'm going to change clubs. I'm going yeah. to fly back. So I flew all the way back um, to Melbourne. was sitting there during the trade. Still no one from Fitzroy contacted me at all. Trade didn't go through because Collingwood couldn't get anyone to go to Fitzroy. Um, so I actually rang the footy club. I said, what do you want me to do? No, nah, we're going to pay you. I said, well, I'm going to go back to the States. They said, yep, see you, see you in January. So you came back for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty bizarre and, yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. So back in, in those days, Ruzi, did you get paid three times a year? Was it in like a lump sum? Yeah. So and was it, yeah. From memory, it was March, July and December. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So got three lump sums. So that's why the – and I don't, I don't say this. Fitzroy was a great footy club. So I don't say this to be critical of Fitzroy. Yeah. It's more than just the way it was. Like I yeah. would ring up from a pay and, oh, sorry, mate, can you wait a week? And I always got paid. 
but yeah. you felt guilty about ringing up for your own paycheck. And yeah, yeah and often I would get pl- other players ringing me and say, Rizzy, look, I've just bought a house. Can I, I, can, I, I can't settle because Fitzroy won't pay me. So then I'd have to be the conduit every now and then uh-huh. and say, look, could you look after this player? Yeah, look, yeah, Rizzy. And they always tried. It wasn't that they were withholding money. It was just yeah. that things were really tough in those in that particular era. Was there was there a time you won a best and fairest, but they they couldn't even afford a medal for you? Yeah, so my last year um, in '94, I sort of pretty much decided that it was just too hard, and yeah. it was just grating on everyone. Johnny Blake had left, um, Purdy, Richard Osborne, Alistair Lynch, Paul Broderick, Michael Gale, yeah, Rossi Lyon, were, and Jimmy Wind and I were probably the only three sort of original type guys, you know. So I made the decision to go. I won the best and fairest and I walked up on stage and they said, look, this is a fake medal. You have to hand it back. We haven't got a medal for you. And I'm like, that's unbelievable. (laughs) So I gave the fake medal back and then um, I said, look, I'm leaving. And a well-to-do supporter rang me and said, look, Rizzy, we don't want you to go. And I said, look, I'll meet you. And he said, look, met in a cafe in Mitcham. Yeah. He said, look, you know, and, and look, they were always fantastic people, really well-intentioned. And he said, no, no, look, things are going to change. I said, okay, I'll, I'll revisit my decision. If you can get my best and fairest medal and if you can pull forward my December payment, which will tell me that we are financially sound yeah. and I'll get my medal. So I'll give you two things to do. And if you can do both of those things, then I'm happy to sit down. And who was that too, that supporter? Yeah, he was an influential supporter. Influential supporter. He sort of said to me he was gonna things were gonna change. Yep, so I said, yep. okay, well, if you can prove that, then yeah. I'm I don't need to leave. He rang me a week later, said, mate, I'm sorry, we can't bring your money forward and we can't get you the medal. So my dad had to follow up the medal for about six months before I got the the medal. And um, yeah, so that was sort of a sign for me, as sad as it was. Mm. It's just the club that I mentioned to you, you know, that I loved in the early 80s, and, and most of the time I enjoyed being there, but it was just so different when I left yeah. to what was when I started. Yeah. Hey, speaking of different, when you go up to the Swans in Sydney, it's another world up there, isn't it? Was there any mention of the Swans in the papers? Or did anyone recognise you when you're up there in Sydney? It was funny because I hadn't spent a lot of time in Sydney, so I'd go up there and and you quickly realise that there's so much anonymity, and, and I loved it. You know, yeah. with a wife and uh, about to have a second child, and yeah, you could go and train hard and play, and then come home and you know, really, really peaceful, really quiet. But yeah, it's really quite different. Uh, very much a rugby league, rugby union town, and I think we built the profile. Tony Lockett was amazing. Like mm-hmm. Plugger coming up was just incredible. Like he really, really put that footy club. Him and Barras, Barras going as coach. Big presence, big personality. Plugger coming up in '95, and they were two real, really responsible for the renaissance and the turnaround of the footy club. No question. '96, mm. you're playing a granny. And actually, when you went over to Sydney, I think they were they were on the bottom of, or second yeah, last bottom. on the ladder. Oh, so you probably yeah. weren't expecting to get to a granny. You get to a granny in '96. How was that? Yeah, you're right. I signed a three-year contract. I was 31, I think, at the time, 31, 32, 31. And I thought, look, I'm going from the bottom club, sorry, the, the second bottom club to the bottom club. But, look, we could – and one plugger signed. You know, I knew they had some good players as well. Like Paul Kelly was a superstar. Yeah, Mark Bays, Andrew Dunkley, yeah, Darren Creswell. So I had some really good players. So I thought, look, we'll get up the ladder. But I didn't ever think we'd play in a grand final in the second year. But they also added Stewie Maxfield, Kevin Dyson, um, Craig O'Brien, some really good, you know, really good AFL players. And then we some young players 
came into the club as well, you know. So it was just a perfect storm. And then Rodney E came in as a really, um, you know, significant coach, great strategy, um, and really coached really, really well in that 96 season. And yeah, we made the grand final, which is incredible. Yeah. What's it like? The, the losing feeling though do you it do you struggle to sleep after do you think about it or what's the feeling like well at that stage it's your best footy day and your worst in the one day yeah, yeah so it's really hard to explain your best footy day because i remember running out in the mcg and i normally yeah i would try and get to the grand final because i aspired to be there and i remember i remember i'm going to take i said to myself i'm going to take this all in and i remember running around in the warm-up looking in the grandstand thinking i'm normally up in the grandstand watching mm. players play and so it's your best footy day and your worst footy day in one day, yeah. and then you lose, and you realise, geez, there's another twelve months to get back here. How yeah. how much work? That's the first thing that goes into it. Mm. How much work? How hard you have to do to get back? And you know, so that's you know, you just think, wow, that was a huge effort, but so disappointing when you lose. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. What what gives you more satisfaction though? On the other side, is it when you coach and win a big game, or when you play? and win a big game. They're really different. Yeah, it's so yeah. different. People ask me that a lot. Yeah, playing, you know, even the most selfless player, you know, who would you put in that category? You know, like a Brett Kirk, mm. um, you know, even the most selfless player fundamentally has to look after himself first, you know, because you've got to yeah. make sure you're training hard, make sure you're eating well, make sure you're, you know, you're sleeping. So you, even the most selfless player has to look after himself. A coach completely gives himself over to the team. You know, you, there's nothing about me in coaching. You know, it's all about the team. Yeah, so so they're so different. Like winning as a player, you contribute significantly, you know. So, yeah, the feeling of winning a game and, you know, and running off the field and playing well and playing with your mates is dramatically different. It's probably the feeling of satisfaction as a coach, as a play player, as opposed to happiness and excitement and, you know, just the camaraderie, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they're they're fairly different between the two, definitely. Mm. And speaking of feelings, you know, before Leo Barry took that mark, what are the feelings inside you? Up to that moment, do you feel like you've got things to do, you're in control, what do we do here? Or is it like I've got got nothing left to do? Let's just Yeah. with a minute or so to go, you realise you've got nothing left to do. And I remember um, Leo, I think, kicked it out. Coxie marked it, kicked it back in. And I remember looking down the other end and going, well, this has just got nothing to do with me now. On the boundary line. Oh, good mark by Cox. Cox throws it onto the left. One last roll of the dice for the oh. And someone's like either roar of the crowd and someone said Leo's marked and they'll turn around and we couldn't hear the siren in the box. Oh. And then I think Peter Jonas said, I think the siren's gone, the siren's gone. And then we realized we won. You know, like it was just yeah, incredible atmosphere. But you are, I don't think people realize you're training those moments and and you're and you're handing them over to the player. Like the goal that Nick mm. Davis kicked. Yeah. in the game against Geelong. We'd rehearse yeah. that over and over and over and over again. But then the players have to do it yeah. in real time, under pressure, in a final. You know, Amy Buchanan kicked a similar goal in the grand final, I think, to put us in front. Yeah, but the players, it's up to the players to execute in those moments. And, yeah, you know, in those moments, we just outlasted 
you know, a team that was executing really well and we outlasted them by 10 seconds, you know. That was about it. And the following year they outlasted us by about 10 seconds. Yeah. Can Do you remember what you said in, in the three-quarter time huddle or before the game, that sort of thing? Do you? Do you replay that in your head or do you remember um, it vividly? I do, only because, I, I do only because people have told me, but I probably more remember, I, I remember it because of the concepts, you know, like people often ask me, now doing a lot of leadership stuff around culture, mm. everyone's looking for the magic pill. And, and I do remember in those moments, it as boring as it sounds, it got to go back to process. You know, the Friday night before the game, you know, I guaranteed the players would win. And this was no respect to John Worsfold. He, probably, he could have rightly said the same thing and probably did to the Eagles. But what I did, I said, I, I said, guys, we will win tomorrow. I guarantee it. If we do everything that we've done during the year, if we play our role, I guarantee we'll, we'll win. And I think that was impactful on the players at three-quarter time. was, well, what did I say last night? But guys, we got 30 minutes. We're playing a really good footy team. Yeah, we have to do everything right in order to win this footy team. Don't think you need to do anything special. If we can play our roles, do our roles, you know, every stoppage, every kick in, whatever it is, you know, we, we can win this game. And as it turned out, we won and they won the, the following year. Yeah. Is there ever those moments where you go like Al Pacino and it's all about getting angry or that sort of stuff? How do you pick? Because well, there's a couple of times. I remember there was one against Collingwood, I think, where you held a piece of paper up. You're pointing to that. Firstly, what was on the paper? But how yeah. do you pick those moments to, yeah, when, you, when to crack it? The moments, I think. A lot of it is around trying to wake the players up, trying to mm. trying to get their arousal states a lot higher than what they they are. So we have worked on kick-ins that whole week against Collingwood. We struggled against Collingwood. Mick Mick Mulder's fantastic coach, really hemmed us in, and we could never seem to move the ball. So what we did is we I think we organised sorry kick-ins that had to go long, and we were going to go long to a crowd and try and get it out as quickly as possible. I think the first five kick-ins in the first quarter we kicked to the pocket, so that was our kick-in piece of paper. Okay. Yeah, to say, guys, this is it. And I threw it on the ground. I said, well, this is a waste of time. I don't know why we trained it. Um, yeah, there's moments where you, you are trying to yeah, galvanise the team, get the team together. You know, the, we certainly use certain things. But, again, they do wear off and you've got to be mm. mindful that the players are smart. They've got to be themes that are relevant. You know, people talk about rivalries. You can't manufacture a rivalry. Our rivalry with West Coast, was based on respect and unbelievable games. Like yeah. it wasn't like we said, oh, let's have a rivalry with the West Coast. Uh, they were just incredible games of footy, and that's how a, a really healthy, vibrant rivalry was built out of mutual respect and incredible competition. Yeah, the, um, when you were playing and you had guys like Parco and Wolsey, it, it was it was a different relationship wasn't it like it wasn't is it these days it's more about having a stronger relationship with the players back then what what was it like was and you yeah. got a few sprays as well didn't you yeah it's dramatically <laughs> different and I, yeah. I don't say this to be disrespectful of the coaches so think about this system the system that Wolsey and Parco coached in was everyone was working you'd get the training at 4 4 30 you'd be on the track at five you wouldn't yeah. finish training till 7 7 30 you'd get in the shower and go home no right. time for meetings, no time for banter, no time for coach-player relationships. Mm. Yeah, so it was all about really direct, honest, hard, brutal feedback, and yeah. we loved it. That's just the system that, that we grew up in. And, and even now, I walk, I walk Sunday mornings when we can with, with groups of Fitzroy players, and they yeah, laugh about Parco sprays. You know, yeah. the one I cop, you're nothing but a loose kick-chasing non-contact centre back. And, <laughs> you know, 
it was fulfilled with expletives and Parco's veins going and spit coming out of his mouth. And yeah, <laughs> but we thrived on that. You know, you yeah. can't do that now. And they were amazing coaches and mentors. But now, as I said, the difference was now players at nine o'clock are getting into the club at eight. Yeah, so you've got the whole day at the footy club. So now it's a case of, you know, Kirky, come into my office, mate, sit down. Yeah, how's um, Haley? How are the kids going? You know, what do you think of my talk on the weekend? Was it too hard at three-quarter time? You know, yeah, yeah probably bruise you a little bit. Okay, how, you know, how can we do it better? You, you, you're building relationships because you've got way more time, and, and, and you have to because you want – it's now the coaches and players in the footy club are in this together, you know, mm-hmm. collectively in this together. Yeah, when when you went to Sydney, I think O two. Um, I, I heard recently. Did, didn't you find the slideshow that you had originally when you first went to the club, and you looked back on it? How was that to yeah, look so back what on? Happened yeah. was, so I took over two thousand two, and I coached the last ten games, and there was yeah. a rumor going around that Terry Wallace signed. Yeah, and all of a sudden. Um, there was this Choose Ruse campaign. Some fans got behind it, and, and it was pretty um, pretty impactful. And then I, I found out actually through Neil Cordy. Neil Cordy, who was a mate, he was a reporter, rang me and said, oh, Ruse, um, I heard you're doing a, um, a pre- presentation to the board. And I said, mm. not that I know of. He said, well, mate, I think you are. You better get all over it. So I rang Andrew Island. Andrew goes, yeah, it's probably a good thing to do. <laughs> so me and my IT guy, Anthony Carl, because I'm hopeless from computers, <laughs> so we sat down, Carly's a great mate of mine, we sat down for hours and we put this PowerPoint presentation together, mm. took four hours to deliver. And I was, I've written a book just recently, not that long ago, and I, and I rang Carly, I said, mate, have you got that? He goes, oh, let me have a look. So he sent it through to me and I looked at it again. It was actually pretty cool to go back and that was the presentation I gave yeah. you know, to win the job, which was, which was yeah, amazing. Didn't you have? Didn't you rate every player compared to yeah. was it Brisbane? You compared yeah, everyone to Brisbane. Brisbane. So I rated all our team, and Brisbane were the benchmark team at the time. And basically, in percentage terms, I said, "Look, we're this how far behind we are yeah. of the of Brisbane. I think we've got we're going to get improvement from you know, this these particular players, and you know, I think we can get there. But we're really lacking, and thankfully we did. And I think in the back page, I said, "I was a premiership." for the Sydney Swans footy club. So it's a bit of a leap of faith and yeah. thankfully that came through as well, which was pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome, mate. Hey, Andrew Demetrio, he wasn't, he made some comments about the way that Sydney played. Did did that um, did that piss you off? Like, let's be frank. Was that a, yeah, did you get pissed off? It sounded so weird. Like we were a team in Sydney and we're doing so much work. As you said, there was a lot of anonymity, but we had to develop the game. You know, we yeah. had so many clinics, so many um, appointments where we had to promote the game, you know, schools and all that sort of stuff. So all of a sudden we were going through a bit of a rough trot early in 2005, ironically, and we go to West Coast Eagles and we're probably going to get beaten because at that stage we weren't playing well. They were playing really well. Mm. And Andrew comes out on radio and far from supporting a team that's yeah, I would have thought the CEO of the AFL would have said, yeah, look, the Swans are going for a tough period at the moment. We're really supportive of them. You know, they do a lot of great work in the community and, yeah, you know, we think they'll come look good. But, but it was – I always liken it. It would be like the, the, the CEO of Pepsi saying, oh, you've got to drink Coca-Cola in New South Wales. Don't <laughs> Pepsi. And I thought, I thought, it's the strangest thing I've heard. So it's more strange than anything. And I thought it was quite strange that no one from – the commission came out and said, nah, we look, our CEO shouldn't be talking about our brand, that's our brand, et cetera, et cetera. 
And we used it, to be honest, we used it to galvanise because we knew the AFL didn't really like us as a footy club and, you know, clearly he'd made some statements and there were things that were happening behind the scenes and stuff like that. So, yeah, look, it, it was sort of strange more than mm. anything else rather than, yeah, because I've said it all along, like, I knew that I couldn't run the AFL and I knew he couldn't coach Sydney Swans. Now, I wasn't going to, you know, tell him how to necessarily run his business, but he was yeah. trying to tell me how to you know, run the team. So it was pretty pretty weird. Yeah. Was it just about the way you played or the low score? It was defensive? something like, because it was interesting, it was something like, oh, yeah, there's a team up north and they'll never they'll never be any good while they're playing like they are. <laughs> and I was, on, I was on the biggest sports afternoon radio show in in Sydney the following week. And the two hosts said, Rizzy, what does he mean by that? And I actually, no one really knew in Sydney because Sydney was a rugby league, rugby union town. Yeah. And they love combat. They love the physical team. Yeah. I think what Andrew meant was, you know, we would, we weren't scoring as, as much and we were tough and hard and tackling, but Sydney people loved that. And it yeah. turned out, yeah, as it turned out, we had a pretty good game style and we ended up winning the premiership that year. You eventually go over to Melbourne um, and help them, you know, um, rise from the dead, I guess. What was the first thing you do when you when you go into a club like that that's been re- you know, really struggling on the bottom? What's the first thing you, you kind of do? Yeah, the first thing I did was bring in the coaches. You know, that, that was imperative. You know, like, you know, I had to bring in people that I really trusted. You know, I, had a, I really trusted Glenn Bartlett was a really good chairman. I was really impressed by Glenn Bartlett as the chairman, really impressed by Peter Jackson. So I knew we had a good chairman. I knew we had a good CEO. I knew Todd Viney reasonably well, who was a list manager. I'd heard a little bit about Josh Marnie and I like Todd and I like Josh, but I really needed coaches that I really trusted. So the first thing that I did was bring in coaches, Daniel McPherson, Brett Allison, George Stone, Benny Matthews. Jay Rawlings was the only contracted coach and I actually knew Jay. Um, and I really liked Jade as well. So that was the first thing. The second thing was building relationships. Mm. Yeah, we had to build relationships with those players. They were, yeah, they were fractured, mentally hurt, yeah, down on confidence. So the first three months was about building really, really strong relationships. So they could, they knew we cared about them. Yeah, we could have honest conversations with them. And then it was building the game style and and building a sustainable game style that was going to win a premiership over a, you know, a three year period while I was there. Yeah, and, and how proud are you now looking at you know, Simon Goodwin and that group there? You must be pretty happy. Oh, man, it's amazing because I know how much hard work goes in, you know, yeah. like, you know, for George Stone and Benny Matthews and, and you know, and, and Kirky, uh, sorry, and, and, and Brad Allison and, and Frosty, you know, for them to, to commit to the club and for them to do the work and all the people that aren't there as well as the people that are there, I know how much, you know, Glenn Bartlett, who's still on the board as chairman, I mean, he was just an incredible incredible job Peter Jackson incredible job you know so for them to and I know a lot of supporters and they text me and I still catch up caught up with one this morning just for an some exercise and um yeah it's just great to to be able to yeah see the smile in their faces and you know just an enjoyment that that the club's bringing them now because I know how hard it was you know for six years prior to me getting there you know, and the year before I got there, they'd won two games and lost 20. So I've seen the worst of it. So to see it going so well is, is so pleasing. Yeah. You mentioned all those people that work so hard and yourself included. Is it possible to switch off as a head coach when you're at home? Like, How, how do you do that? It must be a really hard balance. Not completely, but I think you've got to understand you've got to make a commitment to your wife and your kids and your family yeah. and friends. And, you know, you, you're always sort of thinking about footy. 
but yeah, you can. You know, you've got to be really disciplined in what you do and get into a good routine. And you know, and people at the club have got to understand not to ring you at a certain time and not to bother you at a certain time. And you've got to live that doctrine as well. You know, you can't be sending emails at. 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, you, you got to switch off and make sure all your coaches and all your staff switching off as well. So yeah. it's really important. But, yeah, I mean, you're always thinking about footy and thinking about getting better and thinking about what's happening. Mm-hmm. I, um, I always wonder the mindset of a coach coming into a press conference. So w- what is it? Because, you know, is it, are you going into a press conference normally, say it's midweek or post-game going, let's just get this over with. I'll say whatever I can without making a headline. Or you're going in there with, I want a message to my players. I want a message to the fans. What's the mindset of a coach going into a presser? Yeah, I think you're just preparing. You have to prepare for the press conference and, yeah. and you have to be aware of what your message is. Now, that sometimes it might be a message. So sometimes you might be a little bit frivolous and you have a bit of fun and joke. Other times, yeah, you might want to send a really strong message. So I think it's the preparation that goes into the press conference. You know, I was never one to sort of just, you know, jump out of your chair and be thinking about something else and then walk in. And, yeah, you, you've got to be mindful because you, any time you are in a press conference, you are talking to your fans. Mm. You, 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 every, every word you're saying, they're listening to. So that's the most important group of people that you have to send a message to. I mean, everyone else is listening as well, but that's the group of people yeah. that you really have a chance to talk to. Mm-hmm. You're big on the, the mindfulness um, space. Was that even in Sydney? Did you introduce that to players like meditating, that sort of thing? Yeah, so Tammy and I, my wife, Tammy did a, um, a course about 20 years ago and then Tammy went on and did some study around it and did an NBA, did a dissertation on meditation. So we brought meditation into Sydney in 2003 as a, as an optional um, thing for Tammy to do. But it was no surprise that our better players, you know, really embraced it. You know, Goodsy, Brett Kerr, Craig Bolton. Um, and now it's become more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most footy clubs do it. And, and footy clubs are really progressive, you know, in what they do. But, but yeah, and then we brought into Melbourne. We did it um, probably twice a week. We did some visualisation going into games. And it was really significant in turning the mindset of, you know, the, the player group around, you know, even to the point where Tammy would tell them about, you know, when they came off and we too had this saying where they'd reset, you know, came off, forget about what I'd done in the past, interchange bands, reset, 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 breathe, get back on the ground mm-hmm. and and drop the baggage and just, you know, focus on what the next contest is going to be like. So, yeah, it was really impactful and, you know, it, it's, it's certainly something that all AFL clubs are really progressive in. Yeah, have you brought some of that stuff to the Roos? I know you work closely with David Noble. What what were the things you did with the with the Kangaroos, especially this Probably year? Probably more, you know, when, when you're external consultant coming in, you've got to understand, you know, what you're there to do. You know, so yeah. I've sort of tried to help David, but as much of that is, you know, with Ben Mafia, who's our CEO, I've worked with Ben a lot, Brady mm-hmm. Rawlings, who's the, was the GM now going to list management, done some work with their corporate people, uh, which is really good. So it's a broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. And then just supporting the footy program and, and doing a little bit of work with assistant coaches, doing some work with their leadership group, things like that. So it's more broad and, again, just supporting what they're doing and every now and then challenging and, and rewarding and um, just being a sounding board. Yeah, brilliant. All right, so what's the future hold then for Rosie? Would you ever get back into coaching? No, not now, no. no. Look, I really enjoy the, um, you know, the um, leadership stuff. I'm really enjoying yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy having a, an impact in that space. And I think there's, you know, a lot to be done in in all, you know, not only footy clubs but in the corporate world. You know, you mentioned in the wellness, mindfulness, yeah. 
I think that's the next frontier. Yeah. You know, where people are really mindful of their staff and walk the walk, not just talk about their people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really integrating what Tammy does, which we're doing in performance by design, you know, through our, our performance center, we've integrated, you know, her meditation, her breathing exercises and all those sorts of things. So really, I think that's the next frontier of, of pulling that wellness space into the leadership space. So they're not two separate things. Yep. You know, it's it's all about the whole person. And it's never been more important, as we know, with what's going on in the world, but more particularly in Australia and, and in Victoria at the moment. Mm-hmm. I love it. All right, Rosie, with all my guests, I'd like to finish with 10 quick questions. All right. So, and it's obviously uh, thanks to Simmons and the Simmons Footy Festival on the Footy Live app. So make sure you download the Footy Live app today. First one, Simmons theme. All right, Bruzy. If you could build a house anywhere in Australia, where would it be? <laughs> uh, anywhere in Australia. I'm loving. I'm in South Melbourne at the moment. Yeah. I'm actually loving. I'm actually. It's funny the vibe. I'm. Yeah, I used to train at the Lakeside Oval. With, yeah. With the, with the swans and train the junction over. So it's almost like back to the future. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying the area itself, close to the tan, close to the lake, you know, 5Ks, all that sort of stuff. So actually, I'm, I must say, the, the South Melbourne South area Melbourne. Is, is a really cool area to live in. Perfect. If you could add anything to your home currently, what would it be? You could add something. Man cave, spa. Uh, add anything to my home. Um, a basketball court. I live yeah. in a uh, an apartment block, but a basketball yeah. court on the roof that's fully fully enclosed, so we can play. Yeah, three on three, four on four. I reckon that'd be pretty cool. Love it. Uh, who was the most annoying player to coach? <laughs> who was the most annoying player to coach? Um, that's a great question. Nick Davis. Nick Davis. <laughs> yes. Just. Great person, yeah, super talented, but you know, just a little. little. Rossi Ryan had a good saying, you know, just didn't ever do anything really bad, yeah. But in in cricket terms, just to bowl a no ball every day, <laughs> just a little, just step, just put the foot over the crease, and yeah, Dave, come on, yeah. So, <laughs> it's probably Dave, huh? he'll love that too, I like that. And he did, uh, can I say this too, Dave? Yeah, okay, you did cover it up by kicking four in the greatest the greatest quarter of finals football ever played. So ever. Go. I was going to say he made ever. up for it, definitely. Ever. Nick Davis! Nick Davis! I don't believe it! I see it, but I don't believe it! Unbelievable. Uh, who was your favourite teammate of all time? Favourite teammate of all time? Um... I'll probably go with a, a not probably not the most talented, but my favourite teammate probably would have been. Oh, I really enjoy playing with Andrew Dunkley. Like um, Andrew, because going up there as a sort of 31 year old, and I was sort of sent up back, and yeah, he had some incredible skills. So probably just from an underrated point of view, and yes. and, and he was probably the the tough, you know, one on one sort of defender that could beat his man sort of thing. You know, I had a number of them, but it's like 30, 30 as well. Um, was great at that. But probably the fact that, yeah, I was able to run around, get a couple of easy handballs because he wasn't a great <laughs> kick. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think he was probably an underrated teammate yeah. when I went to, to Sydney and really helped me, you know, to continue to be a good player because he was sort of rock and play on the really good players and allowed me to, to do some of the things I was able to do. Right. Do you have a favourite movie? Uh, I 
I love the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. I think that's Field of Field of Dreams and other classics. Field of Dreams is good. Yeah. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption, some of those old classics. And, mm. and as a, um, you can't go past Caddyshack either. Caddyshack's good. Good. Uh, do you have a favourite quote? Um, I like one of the more recent ones I've heard is, is this more relates to probably the corporate world, but talking about the things we talked about before. Mm. Your own health will determine the health of your business. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Hey, speaking of health, your favourite cheat meal, I think, is pizza. Uh, what fla- <laughs> what flavour pizza is, is the go-to? Oh, and then this might cause some controversy because I roomed with Benny Matthews when, when I was coaching Melbourne. Yeah. He used to go and do Malula Bar, and he's not a ham- he's not a pineapple man on pizza. Yeah. And he loves barbecue sauce, so I'm a tomato sauce man. Yeah. So he went to the he went and bought he went and did the shopping one day and came back and said, Mate, get the tomato sauce. Said, no, no, it's got the barbecue sauce. So we used to have these both debates. So I'm a ham and yeah. pineapple. Ham and pineapple. Ham and pineapple. That you yeah. can't go. I know oh, it's actually, a big debate. Should pineapple go on pizza? But I'm saying yes. I'm a yes. I'm a yes. And if we go to Italy, everyone hates it. All the Italians hate it. I, I love it. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm with, with I'm you. With. Yeah. Uh, you used to go to a gelati shop after some games at Fitzroy, I think. <laughs> what, what's the best flavor? Of gelati. Oh, chocolate. I'm a big chocolate. Okay. Anything anything chocolatey and the and the darker the better for me. Yeah. Brilliant. Did you is it still there? That did you go to the same shop? I don't know, because what happened was Rossi was funny because a good story. So Rossi Lion I as I said before. Yeah. I think Jimmy might have left at that stage. So we were sort of, you know, getting beaten. We'd we'd leave Princess Park. We'd have to go back to the Fitzroy Club Hotel and we'd drop in with our girlfriends and our wives at the time, girlfriends. Yeah. Can't what year was it? Yeah, 90, 90s, sort of four or whatever. And I said, Carl, let's go to the gelati shop. And we go, <laughs> we, we were sort of like vice captain and captain, and we felt like not outcast because we weren't welcome, but yeah, so many players had left. So we'd yeah. get to the gelati shop, have the gelati, talk about the game. How bad did we go today, Rossi? All right, we better get to the we better get the Fitzroy Club Hotel. Nice. Was that yeah? Was that on Ligon Street, the gelato? Uh, I think it was the sort of more close to the city end. Okay. I'm not in the sorry away from the city. Sorry, away from the city. So it was. I can't remember the intersection there, but not in the regular spot of Ligon Street. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you could coach any current AFL team now, I know you don't want to get back to coaching, but in a perfect world, so you could choose one team to go and coach now. Who would it be? Great question. Um, Who would you coach? I reckon I'll answer it a couple of ways. Depending on who you who you were, like and what stage you're at, because mm-hmm. because you might pick the gold coach because beautiful weather up there. Yeah, you know, um, um, yeah, good lifestyle. Lifestyle's nice. Yeah, it depends on because I'm not going to do it, but I'm sort of going <laughs> to pick. Um, let's let's go, Clarker. If I was Clarker, if you were Clarker, yeah, let's go. If you were Clarker. Uh, <laughs> Who would I pick? Probably Gold Coast Parker. Go up yeah. to the sun, surf, relax. But um, you, I, I like Dewey. So Dewey might, you might become assistant coach to Dewey <laughs> for a couple of years. So, but it's, look, it's a, I reckon it depends on your circumstances at, at the time. Yeah, like it. All right, last one. Most important. What's your favourite song of all time? Reason? Bad Boy for Love, Rose Tattoo. Oh, jeez, that was quick. Yeah, I love it's the only song I know from start to finish. I've sung it a couple of times yeah. in a public place, which is probably not recommended when you're not a singer. <laughs> but yeah, I've, 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 uh, that's that's the one I I love the most. And any ACDC, mate. Yeah, ACDC. ACDC is good. Great, one of the great bands of yeah. all time, unequivocally. Hundred yeah. percent. And you like Queen as well, don't you? The work, good workout song. You- 
Yeah, look, well, well, it's funny because the boys now, my boys are 25, 27, it's all that rap garbage and all that stuff. <laughs> Guys, this is not going to stand the test of time. Like, Fleetwood Mac, you know, the Queen, ACDC, you know, even Australian Call, Cold Chisel. Yeah, we're still playing that music. I'm going, do you reckon they're going to be playing Eminem in 20 years? <laughs> Biddy, Biddy Sand? Biddy Sand, maybe. Who is it? I don't know. Yeah, 50 Cent. Oh, I don't know. We'll see. Hey, Rizzy, you're an absolute legend, mate. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Hopefully, because the office, obviously, when we're back in the office in South Melbourne, I'd love to grab a beer with you one time and, and you can sing, sing me some songs and teach me about Thanks. music as well. Sounds good. Good on you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Rizzy, the champion. Good on you. The people have waited 72 years to see South Melbourne slash Sydney Swans win the premiership. Here it is!